friendship comes from a relationship. Friendship, as I mentioned earlier, comes from a loving relationship. It's different than a servant and a master, or a slave and a master. A slave simply obeys because a slave has to obey. So we can fall into the trap of thinking that Jesus is emphasizing obedience just to show our devotion to him. But the obedience that Jesus is speaking of is obedience that comes out of our love for God. Friends of God, Jesus sets the standard for how we should love and warns our friendship with him makes us enemies of the world as we continue with life's meaning and purpose, an in-depth study of the Gospel of John. Hello and welcome to the Transforming Lives Together podcast. Israel was called to be a peculiar people, a nation set apart, different from the rest of the world. This position wasn't for the purpose of simply being an exclusive group, but rather to be a light to the other nations, a living testament of the triune God. Through Christ, we have been brought into this special relationship where we, like Abraham and Moses, are considered friends of God, and like Israel, our position is to serve as a light to the world, a living testament of God in Christ. This, of course, will put us at odds with the darkness in the world, and will cause many of us to be persecuted for our faith. Before we turn it over to Father Ward, we would like to say thank you for your time as you tune in each week. We pray you are blessed and encouraged by the content of this podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe to stay up to date with the latest episodes, and if you have enjoyed what you're hearing from this podcast, please help us out by leaving a five-star rating and review. Your positive feedback will help us reach more people with this podcast. And now... With this week's lesson in the Gospel of John, here is Father Ward. So, verse 12, Jesus now says, This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Now, the commandment to love one another is not a new commandment. It's given in Leviticus chapter 19. It's part of the old law, right? Jesus said, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself on this. These two commands depend on all the law and the prophets. Everybody knew that. But it's different now because now Jesus is calling us to love others as he loves us. So what he is now saying is that we're not just to love other people with an earthly, you know, spirit-charged love, but we're to actually love like God loves us. So the standard is way up here. It's unconditional love. And the fact of the matter is, you and I cannot do that apart from God loving through us. You and I can't love like Jesus loves unless we're allowing Him to love through us, unless we're abiding in Him. We know that this love is taken to another level because in Luke's Gospel and in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus is recorded to have said, love your enemies. So it isn't just your, your neighbors in terms of you know, people who you either like or are neutral. You're to love your neighbors who are your enemies. So the standard is high. Notice, too, that Jesus is repeating himself. He had said love one another in John 13 at the beginning of this uh, final teaching. And then he gives the example of himself. Greater love has no one than this than one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Isn't that a great statement? We can become a friend of God. That's not new. In fact, I have in your, I, you know, I always usually miss something, right? 
that I have in your notes where I say that Abraham was called a friend of God. Moses also was called a friend of God, which is kind of a, 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 an unusual title. It's only a mention of those two. And I'll give you where it's mentioned uh, since it isn't in your notes. And uh, lo and behold, I must have given my notes to John. So in any event, uh, James chapter 2, I think it's verse 23. It's, and anyhow, it's in James chapter 2 where James highlights that Abraham is called a friend of God. Also Moses in Exodus 33, um, I, I forgot which verse, he's also referenced as a friend of God. In, um, in Chronicles, his first Chronicles, um, Abraham is referenced as a friend of God, and there's another passage as well. So if you just look up in your concordance, you'll see that. The point being is that friendship comes from a relationship. Friendship, as I mentioned earlier, comes from a loving relationship. It's different than a servant and a master, or a slave and a master. A slave simply obeys because a slave has to obey. So we can fall into the trap of thinking that Jesus is emphasizing obedience just to show our devotion to him. But the obedience that Jesus is speaking of is obedience that comes out of our love for God. Knowing that he's awesome and he's done so much and he loves us so much and that actually obeying him means our best. But what gets in the way? We, we second guess God. We think that God's law is not, does not have our best in mind. That's the temptation that Adam and Eve fell into. They were thinking that God's word, his truth, what, didn't have their best in mind. And then so they were tempted by Satan to say, you know what, I can determine what's really best. I know better than God. I can determine what's right and what's wrong. And so that's always the tension we have in this life. The reason why something's a temptation is not because we think that it's something that's really bad for us. We think that somehow it's better. It's the better option. Or we're so uh, um, drawn by the immediate gratification that we lose sight or lose, yeah, lose sight of the long-term bad ramifications. And so Jesus says, no. True love waits. True love is patient. True love endures. True love suffers. That's why, just as an aside, the whole abortion debate is absurd if you think that for somehow you can justify this. Because when in the Gospels, where in the Bible, does God ever say, take the easy way out? And the reason why abortion is uh, favorably looked upon in many instances, you know, most women don't want to have an abortion. They want to avoid it, but they feel like there, there isn't a better option. They're not willing to consider the more difficult road. They want to take an easier way out, but where in the gospel, where in the world does God ever say for us to take the easy way out? That's why it's hard. That's why a lot of people don't want to follow the Lord. That's why Jesus said that broad is the way to destruction, but narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. So, Jesus continues, and remember, he's talking now in terms of relationship with one another. 
that a relationship with another must be grounded in love. That's, that's the epitome of everything. Verse 15, No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my Father have made known to you. Isn't that awesome that Jesus wants to disclose everything to us personally? You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. So here we go back to the Father being the vine dresser, the gardener. He's, he's the chief over it. But we ask the Father in Christ's name by virtue of what he's done, his authority that he's given us. Remember, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples. So making disciples is part of the will of God. So that means if you're really serious about it and you want to pray and you want to be patient, God will bring people in the kingdom through you. But you got to be willing. You got to be patient. You got to be, it's going to happen. It's a promise. So that's something that if you ask anything in his name, it'll be done for you. Those are kingdom things. But we often get a narrow focus. It's like on immediate needs that are often temporal or physical and, and aren't as important as the bigger picture things of lives being changed, of, of, of people fulfilling their call and their destiny in life, of us being there for someone in their need. It's not easy, I admit, because we're prone to thinking of self first. We're prone to taking the easy road, not the hard road. Verse 17, notice he repeats himself, this I command you, that you love one another. So this section, our relationship with each other, love, 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 love. We have to always be reminded of that. Because you know what happens? We get short-sighted. We forget about the importance of love. We, don't, we aren't quick to forgive. We're quick to point the finger. We're quick to get frustrated with one another. We're quick to throw up our hands. We're quick to give up. And love says, no, 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 no. And the way this church will thrive and has thrived is because of the love we have for God, but also the love we have for one another. That's what's to bind us together. That's going to create the unity that we need. Love grounded in Christ. That's what's going to bridge our differences between denominations. Love. Now we close... Or Jesus closes the chapter talking about a relationship with the world. So the most important thing is our relationship with God through Christ. Then our relationship with each other as the body of Christ. And, and notice what's really neat is this chapter 15 is kind of right in the middle. And in fact, these verses we just heard, some scholars will say verses 12-17 through 17 are exactly the heart of the entire final discourse that we have from 14 to the end of 17. That right in the middle is this emphasis of love. But what's neat is if you look at the other chapters, um, you see how everything kind of parallels? You know, where Jesus will talk about us, uh, that they will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Uh, he talks about being one in love and having that unity in 17. Uh, you just see this repetition. It all kind of fits together like beautiful pieces of a puzzle. So let's close now with our relationship to the world. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. 
Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Now this is very profound because it gets to the heart of a simple, of a, a true reality. And that is this. That remember, Jesus was opposed to many. Why was He opposed to many? Jesus tells us in John 7.7, 7, He says, the world hates Me because I testify that its works, its deeds are evil. Because what Jesus does is He confronts man with ultimate reality and He confronts man with the... the um, the truth that there is some, there is good, there's bad, there's right, there's wrong, and that God's law is final. Now, to someone who doesn't want to submit to God's law, to someone who disagrees with God's law, that's going to get them upset because he's coming in telling me what I need to do, what I need to be about. And human nature, if it is self-driven, is going to be like, I don't need anybody to tell me what I can or cannot do. The problem is this is a foolish response because the reason why you have life in the first place, the reason why you can even make a decision is because God gave that to you in the first place. That's why it's just preposterous. And yet there's this spirit of rebellion. And so the world hates Jesus because Jesus calls it into account. And the world hates Jesus. Now we're talking about the spirit of the world because it's simply a, uh, a conglomeration of the spirit of man which is self-centered, which reflects the spirit of Satan, who is all about exalting self and becoming a god in your own estimation. And so that's why we have this animosity of the world towards Jesus. But Jesus is saying that the same animosity that he experienced is going to be the same animosity that you and I experience. I don't know about you, but I've experienced that. Not so much now, I'm kind of in a little bit of a greenhouse. But when I was in college, and when I've been in other settings, and I've had the opportunity to talk to people about the Gospel, or I've been in settings where I've seen folks who are espousing the truth of Jesus, but they're in a mixed group. I mean, there is just overt hostility. And you can be as logical as anything, and they just won't accept it. And then if you're not careful, if they're in power, you know, you see this in certain nations. Think about communists and the Muslims and, and, um, and other groups. I mean, they will, they will attack you. Where does this come from? It comes from the heart of man. But Jesus said, don't be surprised. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you now. Here's another neat thing, though. He says, if they accept... Your word, it's like accepting my word. So when I share the gospel, Jesus is saying if someone ex accepts the gospel message that I am proclaiming, Jesus is saying it's like accepting it from me. Now why is that? Because truth is truth. We're just messengers. And the beautiful thing is that Jesus has given us the authority and the privilege to be His messengers. And He's saying, hey, if they reject you, they're rejecting me. If they accept you, they're accepting me. And that follows the same principle that the Apostle John later writes in 1 John where he says, how can you say you love God and you hate your neighbor? How can you say you love God and you're not taking care of the needs of those around you, the poor? Because if you can't love the person you can see who's made in the image of God, 
How can you say you love God whom you can't see? Same principle. That's why when people blow off the church, when people just... I mean, I don't know if they realize that this is a testing ground. I mean, really? Oh, I don't want to go to the church. Bunch of hypocrites. Oh, I don't... I don't. Well, why? I mean, again, people have different motivations. I don't want to lump everyone in one group. But the Word is clear. I understand when someone shares the Gospel that I'm not worshiping them, but they're pointing me to as a sign points me to Jesus. And so Jesus is highlighting what's going to be our experience in the world. Verse 21, But all these things they will do to you for My name's sake because they do not know the One who sent Me. Okay, the first reason for hostility is ignorance. Like a lot of Muslims out there, they have, they have bright hearts in the sense they're seeking after God. They think they're doing the right thing by persecuting Christians, but they're ignorant. So that's one, ignorance. And then, number two, verse 22, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned, but now they have no excuse for their sin. So that would be people who know the truth but reject it. That would be outright rebellion. So the reason why people reject the Gospel is one of two reasons. Either ignorance or outright rebellion. They don't want to. Uh, rebellion's worse than ignorance. Because rebellion, you have, hey, you have no excuse whatsoever. See, what does he say? They have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my Father also. Ah, so now we see another principle. That if you hate the Son, you're really hating the Father. Verse 24, If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they have both seen and hated me and my Father as well. But they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. So this is very ironic. Jesus is saying, and he says this again, or it's, he had repeated, no, I'm sorry, he's repeating what he had mentioned earlier in the gospel. John 12, 37. But though he had performed so many signs, remember, this is the end of the first section of the book of signs, though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him, saying no. So the interesting thing is, is that Jesus gave them His Word, His teachings. They said no. Jesus did great works, signs. They said no. The irony is you have, and who are the they? The religious leaders. The very religious leaders who are supposed to uphold the law are denying the very one whom the law speaks of. That's the great irony. But the third witness is the law. Remember when I say the law, I'm saying it loosely. The law could also would be a term for the entire uh, scriptural writ, witness. I mean, ultimately you say the law and the prophets. But the bottom line is the prophecies of the Old Covenant spoke of a day when the very leadership of Israel would reject the Messiah. So Jesus gives them a third witness. His Word, His works, but now the prophecies themselves. And so he quotes from what is what we now uh, 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 um, number today, uh, the two Psalms I've given to you in your notes. Um, uh, I think it's Psalm 69 and um, uh, 35. Okay, now, this is really neat. We, we wrap things up. 
So we've had our relationship with God, with the Father through the Son. Relationship with one another, grounded in love. Relationship with the world, there will be hostility. You need to understand that. It's not rose-colored, you know, wonderful Pollyanna. But notice how we close. We close with the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. Now, you could almost say this could be a four-section relation with the Holy Spirit, but not really, because Jesus is emphasizing our relationship with the Holy Spirit now in how we engage the world. So let's look at these last two uh, verses. When the Helper comes, or the Paraclete, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of Truth, who proceeds from the Father, He will testify about Me. Now, notice that the personal pronoun He is used for the Holy Spirit. We see the Holy Spirit is always referred to with a personal pronoun. So He is the third person of the Trinity. He is not an impersonal force like a lot of the cults teach. No, He's a person. He. And He takes of Jesus and He discloses it to us. So you've heard me say this many times over the years. The the Son shows us the Father and then the Spirit shows us the Son. But notice... Verse 27, And you will testify also because you have been with Me from the beginning. So why is this important? We cannot impact the world unless two things are present. The Holy Spirit in our life empowering us and guiding us and our willingness to tell people about Jesus. The Holy Spirit can't do anything if we stay silent and we stay in our rooms behind closed doors. The Holy Spirit has to have someone to work with. And so when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about a relationship of co-witness. We need the Holy Spirit in order to do it, but we need to also testify and let others know about Jesus and show Jesus to them. And that's how we penetrate the darkness that's in the world. So we start with the relationship with the Father oversees everything through the Son. We abide in our relationship with Jesus through our prayer and communion with Him, through letting His Word be in our hearts, obeying His Word. We then are part of a community, the body of Christ, that we're working together in love and keeping mindful of one another's needs. And then we go out into the world knowing that we're going to get hostility, we're going to get resistance, but that we overcome the world through our unity, through our love, and through the power of the Holy Spirit as we testify to the reality of Jesus. And that, my brothers and sisters, is what happens when lives are transformed through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank You and praise You for tonight. We thank You for the privilege we have of being in a country where we're free to break open Your Word and we're free to worship. Help us not to take those things for granted and be complacent, but rather take things to heart, continue to abide in our relationship with Jesus, allowing the Holy Spirit to fill and empower us and making the most of every opportunity, knowing that the days are evil and the days are short. We thank You and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to the Transforming Lives Together podcast, a ministry of St. Bartholomew's Anglican Church in Tonawanda, New York. To learn more about our church, please visit stbartston.org. Again, that's stbartston.org. You can also connect with St. Bartholomew's on Facebook and Instagram through the handle at St. Bart's Anglican Church. And you can connect with this podcast through 
at Transforming Lives Together Cast. We hope you will tune in next time as we continue with Life's Meaning and Purpose, an in-depth study of the Gospel of John. Until then, we leave you with these verses from John's first letter. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. God bless.